Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee Podcast, kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and Fix This Next. This free online business assessment tool enables you to pinpoint your business's vital need. Keep listening for top business tips and advice to help you level up and scale up. Here's your host, Simon Meadows. Hi, everyone. Simon here again from Sterling Coaching and welcome to this podcast episode in which we're going to talk about business success and talk a little bit about coffee too. Today I'm very pleased to be joined by our guest uh, Tarek um, who used to be the Chief Investment Officer for Sustainable Investing at BlackRock who even knew they had sustainable investing. Um, a financial services firm with over nine trillion in investments. And yes, I did say trillion. That's with a T, not with an M. And after trying to make Wall Street more green from the inside, he realized that there was no real social impact happening. And rather than just a bunch of marketing, he is now ready to blow the whistle about greenwashing. I love that phrase, greenwashing. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, he founded Rumi which is an edtech nonprofit startup starting in 2013 on the basis that there had to be a more effective and scalable way to close the learning gap. In May 2020, Rumi 2.0 launched where he built and published a new suite of learning solutions evolving to meet the demands of modern day learners with an open free library. Yes, free with a F, because I'm short-tongued, uh, library of micro-learning courses on the essential life and career skills it takes to succeed. Welcome to today's podcast. Thank you for being a guest. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. And of course, yeah, I've mentioned Rumi there. You are the founder and the current CEO of the Rumi Initiative. Is that is that correct? That's right. Great. And you, you mentioned in the bio about you know, wanting to turn or make Wall Street more green. Uh, I, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about the, the, the why behind that. You know, what's the reasoning behind that? And I know in the information I was sent through, it talks about the Guardian newspaper, you know, calling it you know, the, the most ambitious effort to turn Wall, green, uh, Wall Street green. Tell us a little bit about the reasoning and why behind it, please. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. In the last few years, as there's been a greater societal pushback around the need to make more progress on environmental and social issues, because everyone can kind of see that despite all the talk, they're getting kind of worse, right? Every year emissions exactly. seem to go up. Every year inequality seems to go up. You know, in, in response to that, um, a lot of the largest companies in the world, and in particular Wall Street, have uh, got out there and said, we're going to meet the call, right? We And they came out with a whole bunch of, um, uh, of a list of things they were doing, whether it was integrating environmental and social concerns and how they invest and allocate capital, right? So we get a world with better outcomes in those areas or there, you know, new products that they're trying to sell us like investment products that sure. you know, purport to uh, do some good for the mm -hmm. world in addition to getting a financial return. Um, so there's a huge demand around that. And what um, I unfortunately saw in the middle of the machine was something that, you know, it was, it was mainly marketing. It meant that people sometimes paid more fees, but ultimately the underlying 
financial products, the, what they do, how the money flows is pretty much the exact same thing, right? For the most part, this, okay. you know, there's a bit more marketing on top. They move the money around a little bit here and yeah. there. All of it justifies greater fees. But, you know, you see every year that, you know, inequality and, and emissions, and everything keeps going in the wrong direction because the stuff they're doing actually doesn't have any impact. Yeah. I, and yeah, I think for many lay people listening to this, uh, I think we actually believe that, that they're just saying that they do it without doing it. And I think we're seeing that sort of rhetoric from various organizations and politicians and people around the world. And I think we're getting a little bit tired of it. And I think people generally are starting to see through that rhetoric and, you know, that, that smoke and mirrors effect uh, isn't quite working as well as it did do before. Is that something that you're seeing a change in people? You're seeing people be more perspective? Uh, I think so. I I think you're absolutely right. I think that there is a growing amount of uh, healthy and probably overdue skepticism Mm. from the public on the claims being made, uh, you know, by, by the business sector at large and specifically financial services. You know, all of these are companies that to do the things we need for them to do in society, again, whether it's it's reducing inequality by paying their workers a living wage or, you know, reducing these gaps, yeah. uh, inequality gaps, um, it's, you know, it's potentially paying their fair share of taxes, right? Because that's what allows us to invest in education and Absolutely. fight inequality over the long term. Or it's climate change, right? Where it actually, let's, you know, and if there's no carbon tax, it's cheaper to burn fossil fuels. That's the fundamental mm-hmm. problem we have. Yep. And so, and across all of those things, the things that we need companies to do generally cost money, right? In a few instances, yeah. they can make money and, you know, do really well at the same time. And there's this whole sort of win-win hypothesis that they can do well and do good. But I saw looking across the data of, you know, the largest asset manager in history, right? With $9 trillion, it's kind of like a microcosm of capitalism. Mm-hmm. I saw exactly how that was not working, right? I, I could exactly go through the mechanics and say, here's what we're doing. Here's what doesn't work. Here's why it doesn't work. And here's what we need to change to make it work. And what's funny is you're absolutely right. More people are, are talking about it. And I think all I've contributed is to be an insider who comes out and says, listen, frankly, people were right to be skeptical. Yeah. And I can tell you exactly how it's, um, you know, the wool is being pulled over our eyes. Yeah, yeah, sure. And before we get started on to the, you know, the, the general business side of this podcast, you know, I want to bring it back to the coffee. We were talking about just, just before we started. So what coffee uh, are you drinking today and why? Because you're traveling at the moment, aren't you? I am, yes. I'm currently in the Washington, D.C. area, and I'm staying with relatives, and they had a very nice Ethiopian blend um that i i very much like but you know i i'm i'm pro coffee but not super um always uh uh fussy about the specific type yeah. and it's interesting i think you know throughout all the episodes of this podcast it's about enjoying the coffee mm-hmm. you know, it's not about you know is it the the right female brand uh you know is it the you know, particular blend of beans is it the way that you do it? you know there's so many people do it in so many different ways from south india we've had people talk about the way that they do coffee it's about enjoying it and mm-hmm. what, what is it that you um want to say about where you are obviously you're staying with people you say ethiopian but they're more sort of um african based in perhaps where they're from and their coffee taste 
Yeah, well, so, you know, I'm staying with relatives and all of my uh, family actually has history in Kenya, in East Africa. Okay. Um, and so for generations were there and then in the 70s left, most of the family actually went to the UK with the exception of uh, a couple of families. Mine went to Toronto and uh, I have other relatives here in the US. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, a, a good good connection to East Africa. And so, you know, a good East African coffee is, I'm sure, always appreciated yeah. a bit more. Yeah. And it's it's intriguing because I'd never had Ethiopian coffee until just actually just a couple of months ago. But Kenyan coffee very much. You know, it's uh, one, of, one of my favorites as well. So how, how do you take your coffee? I, I used to put a lot of milk and sugar, but these days <laughs> I'm actually having it black. Um, okay. And uh, cutting out the sugar is a nice thing, and but I'm I'm actually enjoying it just as is. Yeah, yeah. I must admit, uh, it's sugar is one of those things that I don't like the taste of in anything. And if my wife makes me a cup of tea and she puts the tea bag in her cup before she puts it in mine, it always transfers the sweetness across. I think once mm. you go to black coffee and you have it without sugar, any slight hint of sugar in there can be quite off-putting, really. Um, mm -hmm. So I know you. Um, have now founded uh, Rumi. Tell us a little bit about the the reasoning behind that. So you've given us a, a sort of a an insight into Wall Street and the you know that uh, wanting to change the sustainability and the climate change. Um, how has that evolved into Rumi? And tell us a little bit about what Rumi is. Sure. So Rumi is uh, a nonprofit organization who's goal is to make learning easy, fun, and accessible. Okay. And the general idea behind it is that digital learning has opened up enormous possibilities for learner-centric courses, for personalization, for greater engagement, you know, all of the things that we know anytime we use technology. But, um, you know, the assumption has always been that it levels a playing field for learners. And in fact, what we're finding is that there tend to be barriers in front cost or device or other things. And so our mission is we want it to be the truly democratic approach that makes everything accessible is a bit more like a Wikipedia type of approach, right? Where okay. it's, you know, you build a resource that everyone in humanity can use. It's useful to everyone. And that means that encyclopedias, which used to cost a thousand dollars now, you know, everyone has free access. I think fundamentally that's really what the core of Rumi of what we're trying to do is make learning easy and accessible. And we have a similar model where it's driven by a movement of people who are volunteering time online because they're really passionate about what we're doing. They're passionate about using technology to help empower uh, people around the world, particularly those who, you know, who have the most to gain from digital learning, but traditionally are the least likely to receive access. And so that, that's really the core uh, of the mission. And of course, you know, we've, as we record this, you know, the world is in various states of lockdown, releases from lockdown after the COVID pandemic. And we've all seen, I think, you know, wherever you are in, in the world, there has been some shift into the way we've used technology and the way we have educated our children, even. You know. um, what's been the latest or most significant thing that you've seen in, in the business of, and the, the nonprofit organization of Rumi? I think the biggest thing has been that just before the pandemic started, we, um, so I had actually founded Rumi years ago. I'd left finance, did Rumi, then I got pulled back into finance at BlackRock okay. because the idea was, hey, you're, you're an investor and we know you like that. And you're also a social 
entrepreneur, right? You've done the social bottom line at Rumi. And so I stepped back for a few years. Um, another CEO took over. When I came back, it was just before the pandemic. And we had uh, we basically finished a transition uh, towards micro-learning. And that, and that has been the biggest shift that we've made. It, it's really interesting. We started to learn early on. We were delivering the solution around the world. It was in over 30 countries. It was being used in Syrian refugee camps. It was being used in for girls in Afghanistan. It was also being used in rich countries, right? Increasingly in underserved communities. And one thing we found time and time again everywhere was that um, we, when you move uh, a, a learning program from an offline environment, like individuals in a classroom to a yeah. digital environment, it's somebody using the thing on their own phone. Yeah. What becomes more important than anything else is to keep that person engaged. And the reason is because if you're in a classroom and it's a 60 minute lecture, you're a captive audience. So if you're bored 10 minutes into it, you don't tend to really leave because you, you can't, right? But Correct. now what everybody learned in the pandemic is that if you take that 60 minute lecture, right? That's the classroom lecture. And then you say, well, everyone's forced to stay at home. So we're just gonna make that into a video and give mm-hmm. access to all the students. Then you have a student sitting in their bedroom and they're trying to watch that probably on their phone. And that's not at all the same experience because they're not a captive audience at all. They have all these distractions from social media applications. Like, you know, if you're, if your lecture is boring after 10 minutes, the kid, the kid or the, whoever it is, any of us, myself included, will probably load, you know, Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Hmm. Um, And those companies are very adept at figuring out how to get us to do that. Right. They're very, very sharp at using our data to keep trying to lure us back to the platform and to hack our attention because their business models to keep us there to sell ads. Our vision was that we should try to use the same tools that they have uh, used to figure out how to get people's time. And we should do it in an opposite way. We want to do it only to bring value to the learner. So we're not going to sell your data. We're not, because anyone, I mean, whether you're selling ads or you're a for-profit learning provider trying to sell another, you know, another uh, course, they're, you know, they'll take the data and everyone knows that they use it and they're using it to sell you more. Ours is to turn it on its head. How do we use that data to keep you learning and make your experience better and better over time, right? How do we do, take all those tools and for the first time, you know, turn the problem of social media and, and the sort of the dopamine rush of attention yeah. hacking into something that is positive for your mental health? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned right at the beginning, uh, micro-learning. I know many of the listeners uh, will have heard you said that and wondered what micro-learning is. Have you got something you can explain to the listeners of what you mean by that? Yeah, so micro-learning, the easiest way to think about it is it's kind of just what it sounds like. It, it, it's, it's short, it's learning through short snippets. On mm. average, the snippets are five or six minutes. So we call the micro-courses bites on our platform. Yeah. Yeah. And so bites are five or six minutes long on average, you know, some a little bit more, some are a little bit less, but generally in that range, they're mobile first, right? So you can pull it up yeah. on a desktop or anything, but like it's particularly optimized and, you know, thought through as a mobile application. And of course it's all open and free. Anyone can just pull up roomy.org and start accessing and using it in the same way that you access and use Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, um, what's really interesting about that is that number one, um, recent research, and this is all in the last few years, cause this is all much newer, it's showing that actually you have better learning outcomes. You know, pe- people learn better if they do it through micro learning. The 22% improvement in the retention of what you learn. So that's really interesting, right? Just yeah. by parceling it into short snippets, people seem to retain it better. The second and, and arguably even more important point is that by making it a 
able people able to learn in five minutes on their mobile phone when they're on the go they're on the bus they're waiting for the bus they're you know people sitting in the bathroom whatever whenever they grab their mobile phone you give them an alternative to what otherwise almost always ends up being social media time yeah so two cool stats here one of them is instagram the average time someone spends when they load instagram is six minutes now um people will say well um you know that doesn't sound like a lot of time the average social media use per day is over two and a half hours. In some countries like the Philippines is nearly four hours. And this is all yeah. before the pandemic. So it's probably gone up. Uh, and so yeah, you definitely. sort of see how they're hacking little bits of time out of your day with the five, six minutes at a time. Yeah. And then that adds up to a lot of time. And so what we realized was that not only is it a better learning tool, uh, but we also can give people the ability to, to, u- to make it easy to use whenever they want, however they want. And in doing so, maybe replace some of what they do on social media. And the last cool stat here is that you get a dopamine rush from loading a social media application, right? That's sort of why people do without even realizing you get that sort of happiness, short-term chemical happiness. Um, And um, the research shows, though, that over time, you'll do it, you'll get that dopamine rush, but then it adds up and adds up. And over time, social media is massively negative for your mental health. It's bad for people's morale and other things. Well, interestingly, it turns out you also get a dopamine rush from learning something, right? If you build a discrete skill uh, and it doesn't work Mm -hmm. if you just load, you know, if you open the textbook to to page 13 and you read for three pages for for five minutes, you don't get the, it's kind of, you start in the middle, start in the middle. It has to be a discrete thing that you start, you finish, you've learned a concept or skill, you've done one or two quick quizzes. And then, you know, of course people get that satisfaction that, and that dopamine rush. We've been doing it and grown it through the pandemic. And one of the coolest things we've seen is that um, when we were surveying youth in Detroit, um, nearly 90% said that it was actually competing with social media time. So it's because they have no other learning. I mean, there's no, you know, it doesn't compete with Coursera or Khan Academy or any online learning thing, because there's very few that you can do in five minutes on your mobile phone for free. Yeah. Um, and so it's very cool if we can replace social media time because there's an added bonus that we're taking away something that where you get a dopamine rush or something that adds up to being negative for your health to, you know, a mental health diet where you do that more and yeah. more and then you get a real benefit over the long term. Yeah. And I know certainly for me and my learning style, you know, I'm more auditory. So I love listening to audio books and like you listeners, he's got lots of books in the bookcase behind him. I've got lots of books in the bookcase behind my, I use mine for more for reference. So I listen to the audio book first and then I use the hard copy as reference, but uh, I'm intrigued by the stats that you gave as well, because I think two things happen with me personally. If it's in those smaller bite-sized chunks, it makes me much easier to go back over it again. So if I didn't quite pick up on it, if I've listened to a 40 minute, you know, audio or video, and I feel that there's something of value, it's so much of an effort to go back and find it. Where going back, now I completely agree, going back in those five or six minute snippets is actually not that hard. So I'm more likely to make sure I've got it and got it embedded and it's, you know, I've taken the value from it because of those small bite-sized chunks. But also, I, I'm a bit of a, I love to be challenged. I love to be an achiever. So each of those sections for me, as you were talking there, I can see that I enjoy the satisfaction of completing a unit. And it doesn't matter whether that unit's two hours long or whether it's six minutes long. For me, the satisfaction is having completed the unit or completed mm-hmm. that particular learning. So I can see how that works. And I'm sure listeners, you can see the same in that as well. 
And do you, do you see the same in the listeners that they they tend to go back over things or do they just go in sequence? How does that work for people that are on on your learning? It's a little bit of both. I think I think you're right. Everyone learns a bit differently. I, I do think that it's uh, it's great for people that they have the ability to easily go back and, and grab those snippets because yep. to your point, you know, if that's the way you learn, then you can kind of go back and always review them. Yeah. The other thing is that if you don't necessarily need to go backwards, always a cool thing about the platform is that we use we get data overall, even though we're not like it's like Wikipedia can go and use it. and It's not asking you your personal information. But we, of course, get aggregate overall data on how people use it. And so what we do is we try to actually, you know, so they can go backwards and look at stuff, which is great. Yeah. They can also go forward a bit more intelligently because the system ah, okay. increasingly optimizes to basically, and it's using the same sort of AI-driven engines that Netflix and Amazon and all use for recommendations. Yeah. We do the same where it starts to serve up something that is more likely to be of interest to the learner. So if they finish uh -huh. this course, then the next thing they would like might be this, the next thing they like. And so it gives people a path that they can build that is almost often largely independent, uh, but informed by the bigger sort of, you know, the, the insights from so many other learners. So you've mentioned, uh, obviously, the, the biggest thing has been that shift in how you get the engagement by the learners. Um, what kind of difference has that made to the organization then? What, what have been the benefits both for the, for the learners and for the organization in, in working with that? I think that for the learners, it's been really just that it's, it's a pedagogically, it's a better model, right? That's really why we evolved in, into to that. And I think, you know, it became this really, really attractive, um, you know, that's a fix or innovation for us because it really amplified our ability to drive impact. Yeah. I think a big part of that model then is that you have, of course, volunteers creating the content. So that in that sense, we're, we're very much like Wikipedia, right? The, all of the yeah. micro courses on there are built by a growing expert community of people who volunteer their time because they want to contribute their skills and the insights they have. And everyone has expertise and insight uh, in a way that, you know, now, you know, that, that, that turns into a micro course. And now even today, and this is the platform sort of a year old, the average new byte or micro course gets completed close to 10,000 times. So that number is increasing. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really yeah. good way to, 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 give, to give back. But the cool thing about our model, I think that comes out of all this is that we've actually started finding we can work also with companies. And the reason being that our content focus is, is not actually K-12 core education, right? that's covered by the public education system, where we found the greatest demand was, was from communities saying, hey, we wanna know like how to get practical skills, right? Job skills, life skills, career skills, because those are the ones that are not often taught properly in a formal education system. And they're, they're you know, underserved communities in particular, actually, you know, unless you're really well connected, you don't necessarily know those things. Um, and so that is the type of content we've leaned a lot into. And, um, you know, we're building a movement to people online who believe in doing it. And the cool thing is that the givers of knowledge, this is the interesting, we have actually surveyed, not just the learners, the learners, of course, find it's great and it gives impact and they're using more of it, but the givers of that, the creators of those micro courses, it's a much more rewarding experience than writing a Wikipedia entry, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Because it's just like a more, it's a more fun yeah. platform for, I mean, number one, we created it with avatars and this, you could do group things and activities. And so that has meant that the givers of knowledge really enjoy using it. And it's, it's an enjoyable experience that they also, it's kind of a win-win, yeah. right? They feel boosted morale and other things. 
And that's meant that we can actually start to work a bit more um, also potentially with companies that would like to, um, you know, large companies are really looking and saying, hey, we want to engage our employees behind something that is really meaningful where they can give their skills and create social impact. And we're able to do that and then show that it improves morale. You, you mentioned there, obviously, that people in education, they often don't get some of those life skills and, you know, how to go for jobs. And I, I've been very passionate about education for, for many, many years. And certainly here in the UK, that is a huge, huge gap. You know, we get all the, the educational content, um, you know, all the information, but then the, the connecting it to what happens when you leave education is severely lacking, not mm. only in sort of um, youngsters education, but also in university education as, as well. Uh, so you may have gone through you know, quite some time of education and still don't, not prepared to go out and get, get, a, get work and get a job. Yep. What kind of age group does Rumi target for the learning? Is there, is there a particular age group? Is there, is there a band that, that are suited to it? Yeah, I mean, the, the focus, I would say, would be youth, um, yep. you know, defined sort of 15 to 25 years of age. And you'll see that the content in there is attuned to a lot of the things that they're asking for. So much of it is like, how do I get a job? Right. Because yeah. exactly as you mentioned, right, they, they will graduate, but then they sometimes feel a bit lost. And so it's like, how do you get a job is like everything from bites and micro courses on interviewing, how to handle interview questions, how to you know, build your confidence to do it, how to build your CV, you know, how to figure out even what job you want in the first place, yeah. right? There's all of these yeah. different components that um, we are, uh, um, you know, we're able to address. And I'd say that it really hits the, um, that youth segment really well. But the reality is our data shows that like, you know, there's people around the world at different ages using it. I mean, some of our earlier work, I remember there was like an 80, eight-year-old woman sort of using, you know, who was an immigrant to, to Canada, who was using it to like learn basic English and other things. And so the, it's, a, it's, you know, lifelong learning is, is yeah. lifelong. So and it's it accessible really to all. It is accessible yeah. to all. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. And it's, yeah, as you were talking there, yeah, I remember leaving, leaving school, leaving college and having no idea how to budget, how to budget, you know, a household income, how to budget my food, how to mm-hmm. look at my taxes. Yeah, there's so much that people just don't prepare us for. And we're just dropped in it and expect to learn to go. I mean, you know, I, you know, I left school in the 80s and college in the 80s. So there wasn't the internet access that there is now. But you know, even so, I can imagine it's still something that is a, is a challenge for many, many people out there, particularly in some, some economic climates as well that people are, are living in. That's absolutely right. I mean, you know, I think the example you use was was was, was really good one, right? On financial literacy, mm. most educational programs don't teach that at all or not adequately. Then someone graduates, and you know, many people they will not go to college, and let's say that they, you know, th- their level of education will stop at a different point for everyone. Uh, it's crazy to me that they would graduate basic sort of education and high schooling in a country and then not know how a mortgage works or how yes. credit cards work, right? Like you think yeah. like it opens it up itself up to like, it's, it's very difficult because the mo- these are the most important financial decisions that their people are going to make in their lives. And they've not really been given the tools to do them effectively. And it runs the risks that people it runs the risk that people, you know, end up in a difficult situation. They're the subject of predatory yeah. 
blending practices or other things, yeah. you know, they need those building blocks. And when that's when we listen to the community more and more, we're very bottoms up. And so that was an area where people say, Hey, we want more information on this. Yeah. It's very clear. They need more information on it also for themselves. And so we said, well, that's one to focus on. Right. So we can yeah. meet the, the yeah. needs. And I, you know, you, you keep using the word community there and, you know, as you're saying it there, it's, you know, the thing that comes to my mind is community is about culture as well, isn't it? And different cultures have different aspects. You know, some cultures are very much about saving and, you know, uh, hoarding money away. Others are very spend orientated. And I'm sure, you know, in the financial sector as well, you see lots of different uh, poles that people go between. Uh, I'm intrigued as to the part that Rumi plays in sustainability and climate change. Where where do you think digital learning, because there's certainly a shift to more digital learning, where do you see Rumi and digital learning playing a part in, in the world from that sustainability point of view? I think that, uh, so what we're doing, and, and I'm really excited about, because I think it's powerful, is using the engine of micro learning, right? The simplicity of it, the ease of it, the high level of engagement. You know, even if you look at the bytes, you'll find memes and animated gifts and things that just make yeah. it fun yeah. so that you, you're learning, but like it feels like something you want to do rather than something you're being forced to do, right? That's the central vision behind it. That's the movement we're building and that we're inviting people to join us on. It's, it's you know, it's all nonprofit, it's all free, it's all open. Within that, um, there's a really good opportunity to use that engine and that approach to teach people how we can build a better future for ourselves. How do we build a more sustainable society? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's in part like here's the science, right, that says we need to reduce emissions. I actually think it's actually less about that these days because everyone kind of knows what the science says. And like, yeah. if you're going to believe that, then, then if you don't believe it, then it's hard to convince you because the evidence is quite strong. Totally. It's, it's obviously very strong. But if... Um, but if you do know and you believe in it, where I find there's a big challenge is people don't know what to do, right? Mm. So should I should I sell shares in a fossil fuel company? You know, is that the way to do it? The answer is no, because it doesn't change anything because someone else buys the shares and the company still exists, right? But that's important because students are marching on campuses, they're, they're doing divestment and all. <laughs> and there's, yep. there's a whole bunch of things that, like that are being done. And, and unfortunately, some of them have impact and some of them don't. And I think that's actually where the area we're trying to tackle, which is that, okay, we don't need to have that much more content on saying climate change is real and here's why we need to solve it. The real challenge at hand in 2021, and I think throughout the course of this decade, is going to be, can we figure out on what are the things that matter, like a carbon tax, a carbon tax matters, we need one. Uh, and then can we help empower people and the general public with the tools to understand how the system works and what are these levers that they should be pulling? Because I think the danger is that yeah. if you don't clarify those, we end up doing a whole bunch of things that sound like busy work to address climate change. And like, yeah. then we get frustrated that every year after the other, like, it seems like we talk about it more and yet, you know, emissions also go up. Right. And so that's yeah. the disconnect is like understanding the system and, and how it works yeah. and how we can change it. Yeah. You've, you've given us some great insights uh, into you know, what you've been working on and you know, the, the micro learning. And I've learned so much in this, as well as I'm sure you have listeners. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you and about Rumi? And we're going to put some varying links into the, the, the show notes here. But uh, what would you like to share with the listeners of where people can find out the most? 
I think I'd say that uh, the best place to start is to go and check roomy.org and just try out a little bit of micro learning on your own, right? I, I do it on my phone. Yep. And I uh, just created a bookmark and then dropped it next to my social media applications. <laughs> and then when I find that I'm almost on autopilot, you know, I'm bored, I'm just looking around and suddenly I grab my phone, pull it out, unlock it, start to go and load Instagram. Yeah. I do that without even thinking. I think we all do in some form. Yeah. I actually see Rumi learn and I say, well, wait a second, like I have five minutes, maybe I'll do a bite instead. And that is no question about the fact that over the long term, if every time you're about to use social media, you switch and you learn a new skill instead, you're going to be better off in a few yeah. months, better skills, more mental health. Completely. So that's number one. Check out Rumi.org. And the second thing I'd say, uh, and, and, you know, and, and try to build it in your daily schedule. The second thing is, you know, um, on social media, we're on Rumi Learn. I'm so, so fancy in all the platforms. And so we're always sharing new micro courses and, uh, and pushing that. I'd say the third and biggest thing is, you know, uh, is to try it, use it and spread the word, right? Yeah. Because Wikipedia was amazing, but it took years to yeah. get everybody to know that it yeah. exists and so they could take advantage of it. Yeah. And we're spelling for the listeners, Rumi, R-U-M-I-E dot org. That's right. Yeah. So that's where people need to go. Fantastic. So I want to ask um, one of the sort of final uh, questions to do with the business side of things in a slightly different aspect, because I was intrigued when you talked about the fact that um, you're getting companies involved. And I thought you were going to go down the, the route of saying that people in companies can engage with the learning, but it was more about getting the companies to provide the learning and, and share the knowledge. What would you say, what tip would you give to people who are interested in sharing knowledge and of course you know I, I hope that people reach out to them through Rumi but I know for many many people and I've done this for many many years you want to contribute you want to help the next generation but it's where to get started so any tips that you can give to the listeners today who want to get started on passing that knowledge on passing that that micro learning on you know, I'd say that the the most important way is, is to find a way that you can contribute uh, that I think is aligned to your skills, right? Because a lot of volunteer work people do is even the corporate ones, they're like picking up garbage in a park. That's important because we want clean parks and cities, but it strikes you as a bit odd then to have like someone who's a real expert at certain areas. And then they're all sort of doing just the same sort of labor based thing. And so yeah. in some sense, I think the most powerful volunteering and including to the giver, right? The, the actual volunteer yeah. is or you're doing something that's aligned to your skills and what you value about yourself. Because then you know that you're giving something that you value, that the world values, you get paid to do it, and you're giving that to the world. And so I think that that, um, that is probably the biggest, I'd say, thing. Because, you know, for us, we've created a platform that allows anyone to come in, you know, and to, you know, join our community and start to, share skills and experts and insights that they have that match the needs of learners. Anyone can come and obviously work with us because by definition, that's the entire model of being a sort of crowdsource, a movement online that's a, it's all nonprofit public resource. Yeah. So, um, so that's really, you know, they can, they can do it with us. They can, um, and we're always welcome. You know, we, we want more people. It's, we're building a movement. So everyone is welcome to come and join mm -hmm. and spread the word. Yeah. And I think in general, you know, when people do that kind of thing, it's good if they, whether even if it's not on our platform, that they try to find ways that are just aligned to their skills because that's where Perfect. you can really give the most. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Why would somebody who 
he's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in their salary, go and do something that is nowhere near the value of using the skills that they've got. Uh, and sometimes I can see the disconnect to that. And sometimes they just want to get away from what that is. But uh, yeah, there's, there's, I can see the value in that. Definitely. Final question then, if you were to have your next coffee, and this is a slightly different one to the one that I send out. So I want you to think about a dream location. If you were had to have your next coffee in a dream location, where would that dream location be? Just describe it for the listeners. It's a great question. I think that that dream location would maybe be somewhere on a beach. Uh, you know, being in Toronto during the whole of the pandemic where everything was locked down in the Canadian winter is not yeah. kind, uh, has been a tricky one. So I would love to have a coffee and look out over the water and the beach. And I know some people have that ability to do it. And that's fantastic for those yeah. of us who have been far from it for a while. <laughs> Yeah, a coffee in that both. environment. Yeah, it yeah. would be a wonderful and mentally relaxing uh, break that uh, I look forward to hopefully doing <laughs> sometime when it's possible. Yeah, time of day. Would do you prefer to do that in the morning, midday, or in the evening? Sunrise, sunset, midday. Late morning. Yeah, late, late morning. morning for me is really ah, okay. nice. Intriguing. Yeah. yeah. One final thing I want you to, to take give to the listeners so they can take it away. Give us one thing that we can think about when we're thinking about Rumi. You know, you want to create a movement. Listeners, I yep. want to help this movement be created. So I want every single person listening to this, you know, whenever you're listening to it, to go out there and help this movement, spread the word, you know, and contribute. If you were to give us something that would inspire us to do that, you know, if somebody needs a little bit of a kick to get themselves off the couch, and go and do something about you know, being involved in the movement, what would you say to inspire us to do that? I think the best thing you can do is give, not just now that you know about it, try it out, but pass that gift to someone else. So as an example, um, you know, when I first started thinking about how do we spread the word, I, I just would find bites that I liked on the platform. So one of my favorite bites, which anyone could find, you can just search on Rumi, it, it talks about the benefits of handwritten notes. Cause I used to type all my notes and yeah. I actually went back to writing them because it turns out there's all kinds of cognitive benefits to, you know, doing it. You remember it better. Okay. I loved it. I think it's a great bite that I'd recommend people read, but I found that bite. I really liked it. And I said, there's a little button there to share it. So I shared it and just clicked on WhatsApp and I shared it with family and friends. And the reaction I got was really good. Right. Cause my family group has a lot of crap going through it, you know, memes yeah. and jokes and fake news and yeah. a bunch of things. And so fun, suddenly it's like, hey, I'm sharing knowledge. This is, you're on your phone. You could click on it. It pulls it up in one second. You can do it in five minutes. You'll learn something. And that's what I tell people. I say, find a bite that you like and that resonates with you. Everyone will find one. There's great ones on mental health over the last year that I think are very, very popular and that I find honestly useful. And I think others do, but find one that you like and that you think someone, you know, or your friends or family could benefit from and just yeah. press the share button, right? It's like it's sharing a Wikipedia yeah, yeah. entry. It's all open and free, and you're spreading that um, you're spreading that positive thing, you know, the, that positive energy to other people. And I think it's a really good thing to to be able to do, and that you know helps everyone benefit. Yeah. And you picked upon something really important in those first few words. It's a gift. So, listeners, consider it a gift to yourself. Consider it a gift to other people to go to rumi.org find that bite 
share it and give it as a gift. You know, really think that you're not only you're giving a gift to yourself, to the people that you know, the people you know, that you have in your community, um, but also you're contributing towards spreading that knowledge to make the world more sustainable uh, and a better place for us all to live. And for me, that is a worthy cause. And I ask every single person that's listening to this podcast now and in the future to take that mantle and join the movement and do something with it. So thank you very much for sharing such incredible insights. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. It's been my pleasure. It's, it's great to be here and chat with you. And listeners, as you know, uh, this is part of my mission. I might change that to movement now, but my mission to help people be more aware, better educated and be accountable. You've had awareness today. Many people listening to this will never have heard of Rumi. People might not have known what micro learning is. Uh, thanks to today's podcast and our guest, you've certainly been able to do that and do something with it. Don't just think about it. Don't just think, I'll have a look at Rumi.org later, tomorrow or the day after. When you finish this podcast, as soon as we've finished it, go have a look, find that bite, find that piece of micro learning and do something with it. Let us hold you accountable to make a difference. We can all make a difference through the simplicity of what you've heard today. And I encourage each and every one of you to do that. And I look forward to having you on the next podcast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you.